Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? How about what the fuck nuts I'm getting now? I'm not getting what the fuck nuts. I don't have what the fuck nuts. I'm calling you what the fuck nuts. That ain't a bad one. Just keep sending them. And by the way, I do read all the emails, even if I don't respond to you. I read them, and they come up here and there. They come up on the live shows, and I take note of what you say, even if it's shitty and mean. Lately, getting a little flack about my gal, Jessica. Some people are piping up, piping in, piping in, chipping in. What are they doing? They're getting involved. They're 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 being a bit intrusive and critical of my relationship with this new girl that I'm with. Look, I I'm not thrilled about who I am. I'm looking. It seems that I find girls or they find me, and a couple of things happen. They get they're very intense. They're frenetic. They're they're usually inspired and a little crazy and really smart. And then they say, and you know, my father's an asshole. And I go, oh well, I can fill in for a while. Look, you can have all the things. You can have a guy that's similar to your dad and you can have sex with him. What? You had sex with your father? Oh, that's horrible, but kind of hot. Am I wrong? I'm sorry. Am I being insensitive? Don't cry. Let's go have some dinner. Look, I don't know really what I'm doing and I, and I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your concern. Believe me, I'm as surprised as you are. I didn't think I would be 46 years old and still you know, going out to diners at one in the morning after shows talking about stuff I'm, I'm getting old and tired a little bit but you know what I, I don't mind it I don't mind it this is the life I've chosen this is the life I live I don't have kids a lot of my friends have kids I don't know what I would do with them uh so I you know I'm dating relatively young person and it's it, I, I'm, I'm having a good time when we're not fighting but I seem to like the fighting and I'm trying to work that shit out I started therapy last week I went to one session it was pretty good. Uh, we'll see what happens. Jesse Thorne is on the show today from the Sound of Young America, who was a great uh, help to me in starting this show and has his own wonderful shows. Jordan Jesse Go, Sound of Young America. And I'm looking forward to talking to Jesse uh, here at the uh, here in the garage. All right. Also getting a lot of input about the cold brewed coffee. Talked briefly about the cold brewed coffee. And people are like, wow, OK, you mentioned it. Well, what the fuck is it? How does it work? How do you make it? I literally, it took it took a couple of jars, many filterings. It was like I was making a you know methamphetamine in there. Here's the recipe I got. This is what I got. If you want to try this, you take about what I took was two cups of ground just coffee, not co-op coffee, reanimator blend, or use WTF blend. Grind that shit up. Two cups of medium ground coffee. Put that in a jar, a big jar. Then put nine cups of water into the jar, cold water, and I let it sit. I shook it up, and then I let it sit overnight. Okay, and then after that, after it sits for 12 hours, run it through a sieve or run it through cheesecloth in its sieve. Do that twice. or run it, I ran it through a sieve and then I ran it through a cone filter to, to clean out all the grinds. And then you just throw that in a pitcher, put it in the fridge. And what you do is you use that as a concentrate. Like you put half a cup of that or three quarters of a cup of that, water and ice. Then some dude told me to make coffee ice cubes. So I fucking made coffee ice cubes. That was crazy. 
I had like concentrated coffee ice cubes. And this coffee, this cold brew, the cold brewed iced coffee, smooth as shit. And it's got a lot of body to it. It's really a treat, but it's sort of a pain in the ass and a bit of a mess to make. So there you go. That's that recipe. I know it was important and pressing. What else? Slow down, dude. Slow the fuck down. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's, it's nighttime here. Mark, you're talking to yourself out loud. Yeah, that's what I do. I do that. That's what this is. That's what this podcast is. It's me talking to myself out loud. No, but you're talking to you. You're not talking to the audience right now. And now you're engaged in a full conversation with yourself. Shut the fuck up. Why do you got to be so judgmental? Dude, it's just weird. And just be quiet. Okay, because I'm doing the show. Okay. Listen. I auditioned for Curb Your Enthusiasm, finally. I know some of you know that Jeff Garland said that he was going to set me up with that. I don't know if he did or not, but I did go in. It was a little weird uh, how it works. So maybe I'll give you the inside line on how it works. Um, how it works is you go to the audition. They have a little, you know, little pieces of paper with the character you'll play and the situation you're in. So there were several pieces of paper. There was emergency room doctor. There was guy who got, uh, who got his computer stolen. There was black guy. Just said black guy. So it was me. Uh, I was either reading for emergency room doctor or a, a computer guy is what it was. Computer guy. And I saw this on what I on the description that I got from my management. But it just said computer guy or emergency room doctor. It didn't have the description of the situation. So some of the people that I saw there was kind of cool. Uh, well, I saw Jeff Ross and Eddie Pepitone. Not, it was nice to see them, but you know, I know them. And uh, to be honest with you, Pepitone, little, little pompous at the audition, little, uh, little detached. Like, oh, you're here too. Yeah, I'm an actor. And uh, your name again, Mark Marin. Yeah, little, little distant. You know, I talked to him about it. Jeff Ross was there, but uh, it was funny. Richard Libertini, the guy who played the dictator with the senior winces in the original in-laws was at the audition. It was just good to see him alive. I mean, there are times where I'm like, what does that guy do? What do they do? What do they, do they just like, what did some of these actors, these old actors they haven't seen since the seventies? I know they show up on TV shows here and there, but like, dude, I, I wonder if they go home and they, their wife or their kid, you know, shuts them off and puts them in a closet. I don't, I, I don't know what they do. I guess they made enough. Who knows what they do? How they make money. That's always my thought. Like, how did they make money, that guy? And maybe he saved his money. Maybe he made a lot of money making movies. Whatever the case. So I'm there. It's me and Jeff Ross and a bunch of older dudes who were, who were reading for this doctor part. And then a bunch of black dudes who were reading for black guy. And Jerry Minor walks in. He's been on this show before. And he looks at the sides. He looks at the other black guys. He looks at me and he goes, uh, are you reading for black guy? And I said, of course I am. They're, they're not sure what they want to do with the part yet. Yeah, I'm reading for black guy. We had a nice laugh, but the audition is kind of interesting. So the scene that I had with computer guy is that I was at a restaurant using my computer. I went to the bathroom and I asked Larry, who was also at the restaurant to watch my computer. I came out and the computer was gone and Larry was gone. And the scene was an improvisation where I run into Larry on the street and I ask him what happened. And then he says he let a black guy watch it. And then I'm supposed to, you know, get angry. And then in the middle, you know, check myself, you know, because I'm, I, I catch myself being racist and I get uh, self-conscious about it. And that's all you get. So I walk in. Larry's there. He recognizes me from the conversation we had at the airport. He's like, hey, Mark Marin, how are you? I'm like, fine. What do we do now? It's Larry Charles is in there, a couple other people, someone on a camera. And I go the other side and, and we just start off. And I just start, you know, like, you know, how, what, where's my computer? 
what the hell happened? Where, where were you? What happened to you? And where's my computer? You know, I'm yelling, I'm this and that. And he, and then we, you know, he's like, what? I didn't. And then, and I'm yelling some more. And he goes, uh, you know, I, you know, I let a black guy watch it. And I'm like, well, that's why I asked you the black guy that was sitting there. I said, cause that's why I asked you to watch it. Cause that's not how I felt, but that was you know, the improv. So I was, that was the racist thing that I was going to feel bad about. Then I, you know, I kind of went through the whole improv with him. It went pretty well, I guess. But you know, I, I there was moments where it sort of fell out and I kind of waited for him to end it, you know, and. Pow! Wow. I just shit my pants. Just coffee.coop. So anyways, uh, the the thing ends and I walk out and I, th- I feel like it went well. But, you know, by, by the time I, you know, I walked out, and I'm like, shit, I should have done this. I should have done that. By the time I got to the bottom of the stairs, we were on the second floor of a building. I was like, why do I, why do I even bother? Uh, then by the time I got to my car, I was like, this is bullshit. I fucking hate going out on auditions. I never go out on them and I fuck them up somehow. And then by the time I'm in my car and driving 10 minutes, I'm thinking, you know, like they don't like they need another aggravated Jew on that show. You know, what are the fucking chances? And then by the time I got home, I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. But I think it went well. That's the important thing. I had something I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. Big brother. Is there a big brother? I, you know, a lot of you ask me, you know, not a lot of you, but if you were you like, you used to do politics, you don't really do politics anymore. Look, I, it's not that I'm not a political person. It's just I give up. I give the fuck up. People are asking me, what about the Glenn Beck thing? Yeah, Glenn Beck is horrible. I knew, I knew he was horrible four years ago. I was like, this guy's dangerous. He's a demagogue. It's going to be trouble. You know, but I'm not saying I, I told you so. I'm just saying, what am I going to do to talk to those people that think he's the, the, the second coming? Those misguided people. What am I going to do? And I don't want to just preach to the choir. You know, it's a free-for-all out there. We'll see where the chips fall. We'll see what the fuck happens. If there's any vestiges of democracy that still function properly, it will filter out the shit. It may take some time, but I just, I can't, I don't, I don't want to get involved with the chatter because then I get disappointed. I get my feelings hurt. I get disillusioned. I'm already disillusioned. I'm already cynical. I don't fucking know what's going to happen. I sense that something bad is happening, but maybe that's what we got to go through. And I'm not disengaging from it. But I'm not, you know, what am I going to sit here and say, uh, you know, if you think gay marriage is wrong, you're an idiot? Well, I, I believe that, but is, well, I'm going to spend my time doing that right now. I mean, if we can't all be adults and realize that what's at the core of America's problem is, is just a complete disillusionment, a, a, a across the board sadness, a, across the board disappointment, across the board gutting of everything we believed was true and real. And the people that think they're fighting for democracy are just puppets of the people that own democracy. And they've got them rubbing up and you know, just running up against the people that still believe that something could, could, could come out of government that might function for everybody. Because one of the big problems is, and I'm not getting political, is that no one thinks they're fucking poor. Everybody thinks they're just waiting to be rich. So they don't see themselves as people that are, are compromised uh, or, or that they are you know, in trouble. They just see themselves as almost winning the lottery. I just think there's a lot of disillusion across the board, and, 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 I'm, par- and I'm part of it. And then I get this into this conversation with, uh, with Jessica, you know, about, yeah, about, uh, about Big Brother, kind of. Well, about, it was specifically about the x-ray machines that they're going to be putting at most airports where you get scanned and a picture of your naked, sad self beneath your clothing 
with your sad balls and your sad boobs and your sad pussy and you know, all that stuff that we keep hidden and we try to keep clean is just going to be there for the TSA attendant to see. Everybody's going to see it. People are going to, you know, f- you know, download the, the X-ray pics and put them on the internet. Whatever's going to happen, it's it's sort of it's sort of frightening that we can be visually raped by technology in the guise of protecting the nation. I really think that after a certain point, this is just about selling equipment. You know, you can't, clearly you can't stop every, whatever. That's not the point. The point is like people who are like, well, it's big brother. Is it big brother? Is there a big brother? I hate to tell you, I think we're big brother. I think big brother resides in all of us. And sadly, big brother's orientation is not totalitarianism it's not ultimate control it's really outside of airport security how do we sell shit to people you know you know what big brother sounds like it's not some warning big brother doesn't sound like big brother i'm watching you watch your move i'm watching you here's what big brother sounds like you know what just go through the thing come on you're holding up the line just go. Who gives a shit? Just go through. All right. Quit complaining. So what? So you, you got nothing that everyone else doesn't have. Who cares if they see it? Come on. You're holding up the line. That's what Big Brother sounds like. Here's what Big Brother sounds like. Just sign the thing. Put your email address on it. What do you mean? What's going to happen? So you, what, you're going to get some spam or whatever? We, we got to get going. Just, just give them what they want. Sign the thing. That's what Big Brother sounds like. Or else Big Brother sounds like that. Well, you know, if it's, if it's going to be safer, I, why the hell not? No one wants to take it to the next level because it's too aggravating and it interrupts their day. And there's going to be lawyers involved. It's just a consumer rights thing. It's also a civil rights thing. But people would rather not be aggravated if their life isn't compromised too much. And also Big Brother is watching this. I guess I should turn the fan off. Jesse Thorne is in the garage here at the Cat Ranch. We got the fan going, but I'm happy... That before we got on the show, Jesse, as you know, is the host of uh, The Sound of Young America, Jordan, Jesse, Go, then the Jesse Thorne Empire, the Max Fun Empire. What does that include, Jesse? Uh, we're talking about Jordan, Jesse, Go, The right. Sound of Young America. Yeah. Stop podcasting yourself. Wow. The Casper Hauser Comedy Podcast. No. The Coil and Sharp Podcast. Holy shit. The Sound of Young America, The College Years. Oh, my God. It's a pretty spectacular operation. How do you... How do you uh, manage all that? I can manage. I can barely manage sending those T-shirts out, and that's with your old intern Brian. <laughs> <laughs> you got my hand-me-down intern. I do. I have your hand-me-down intern. Uh, Brian's great, though. I um, you know, it's been a long time. It's been a slow growth over the course of uh, you know, five or s- at this point. I mean, it depends on what you start counting by, but I've, it's been podcasting for five plus years at this point, and. You know, I started doing the show 10 years ago now. I know. And I, I think that some people, I, I told the story on your show, but I don't know if I told it on my show. Did we talk? I can't even remember. But the first time I met you was on the phone. It was a phone interview. You were standing in the street in Santa Cruz. In my underpants. In your underpants. Specifically. Yeah. Doing some sort of bit. <laughs> well, it wasn't a bit. How did you find me? It was a pledge drive. It was, you're, well, you're a celebrity comedian. Oh, back then? Really? Yeah, sure. Okay, all right, all right. So I get sure. right. So we set up the we interview. We're booking a Mark Marin and yeah. a Todd Barry. Yeah, uh, you know, you're ahead of the curve on those names. Absolutely. Well, we're always ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because uh, once once the curve uh, reaches us, we can't book them anymore. So. <laughs> once the curve arcs, yeah. the wave crashes, or they get out of your reach, or they take off. Exactly. We Michael Sarah was on the Sound of Young America. We got him just after Arrested Development got canceled. 
Oh, that's, really? That's the secret. Just after it got canceled. <laughs> that's where you when get it. When it was on, there's no way we could have gotten him. Right. When he became a movie star, no way we could have gotten him. But, but in he, that little intervening The frightened months, window. The yeah. frightened window where it might not happen or where he, you know, doesn't. he's unsure of his future. Yes. Yeah, that's where you get Sarah it. Silverman was on the show. She was sitting on her luggage in the alley out behind uh, the punchline in san francisco i know that alley that's the that's the sort of that's our sweet spot <laughs> the alley behind a small club when the moment that weird window where, where celebrities are lost and needy exactly got it that's that's where we get them so explain to me why okay so you were in santa cruz you were a student and i remember was, phoning the show it was the pledge drive right and jordan who at the time did the sound of young america with me now does jordan jesse go with me and I were at the base of the Santa Cruz campus. We had recently found out that the station had this remote broadcast unit, which was the uh, amazing discovery to us because this was a station that um, it literally, the board, when we started there, instead of having sliders that slid up and down, yeah. it had the huge knobs that you turn <laughs> left to right. It was the old feminine board. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With the big knobs you could put hey. your whole hand on. Honk, honk. Um, and uh, so we found out that we had this remote broadcast unit, and so it was Pledge Drive, Yeah. and we decided we should do a Pledge Drive stunt of some kind. Yeah. And we decided to go down to the base. You couldn't go more than about like a mile with this broadcast remote broadcast unit, so we went to the base of the UCSC campus, which is where all the cars drive in, and there's sort of like a field there, and we just stood there on the corner in our underwear... <laughs> And did this show? And called me, and we called Mark Marin. But the you weren't even the you weren't even the championship of awkwardness in that because you were on the phone. Yeah, and so you knew in your sort of you knew intellectually. Yeah. that we were in our underwear. Yeah, we interviewed this guy, this really sweet guy. I can't think of what his name is. Who directed this documentary called Afropunk? Uh huh. Um, and he's this he's this sort of like he's like as big as me. I'm like six three, two ten. You're a big like, man in Madras shorts. Yeah, and he's he wasn't wearing Madras shorts. He was wearing. <laughs> Full, you know, 1980, 1979 punk rock regalia. Uh -huh. uh, this huge black guy in punk rock clothes and like, you know, What's giant- What's his name? Knee high. I can't remember, but he directed a he directed a, an interesting documentary called Afropunk about black people in punk rock. And um, this guy did it in, per in person. He was there in armor, in yeah. punk rock armor. So he's there in his crazy punk rock armor, yeah. huge guy, yeah. as cars drive past and honk at <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Because we're literally, we were also, we were wearing tidy whities that was part of the joke. <laughs> because what are you, if, well, you know, I mean, yeah. what else are you going to wear? New You're ones, gonna right? You're going to do it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not, yeah. not kind of distended, that's a good dirty, reason. That's tidy a, whities That's a good reason to go down to Watsonville to the Target and sure. pick up a new, new tidy whities So here's here's what happened. So when, when actually you had reached out to me like a couple years ago to do The Sound of Young America, and you reminded me of this, and it, that was the great moment was I'm like, oh, it's that kid who called me in his underwear. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just going to blow this off and tell him no. So I'm like, uh, sorry, man, can't do it, because I just pictured this weird phone, and I know where you were in your basement. I don't think, I don't think you even emailed me back. I'm Is that be, true? Uh, yeah, I, don't th I think I just figured, you know, maybe you don't, you don't check that email address anymore. Oh, man. So here's what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm making something in my kitchen in a story, and then Jesse comes on the radio, the sound of Young American. I'm like, holy shit. And I go back <laughs> I go back and check my email. It's like, it's that kid. The kid in his underwear. He's on the radio on NPR. And I'm like, you, hey, you man. You look around, yeah. double-checking that you're not in Santa Cruz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then I get back, I get on my email. I'm like, hey, dude, uh, just wondering if that uh, offer is still available. Uh, glad you're doing so well. Oh, what a fucking idiot I am. But uh, it worked out, and I had no idea that you had this empire, this Max Fun empire. Here's what I'm trying to figure out, Jesse. And yeah, you know, oddly, not oddly, but honestly, I owe you a, 
a lot of gratitude, a lot of thanks for, for setting me up. I mean, really, you taught me how to use all this stuff, and it's going pretty well. I've not expanded on my knowledge at all. Uh-huh. You know, I, I'm still <laughs> in GarageBand. I don't touch too many knobs, but I haven't called you with a crisis. It's been months since you've called me with a crisis. And frankly, I'm glad because... Just as you have not learned anything besides the absolutely essential things to know how to do what you do, yeah. that is also what I have learned. So if you were to extend your skills yeah. and then have a problem, yeah. I would be completely useless But I'd, I'd still like to get to your skill uh, set because you are feeding a bigger machine than I am. I'm still, look, you, I, when I've been to your apartment, it's like it's like NASA over there. So you're There's asking a, me to teach you administration skills. I need administration skills. Management. Yeah, management skills. I need to know what big board to get. I'm your Peter I, Drucker. Is what you're yeah. saying. And I need you to get me on NPR. There's a lot of things I need. Who who moved my cheese? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be on NPR. I don't think that's going to happen. Not realistic. I'm not yeah, I'm not uh, I don't have a I have a filthy mouth. Uh-huh. I talk about things that are that are too deep for the average dog. Public radio people don't like my show, so they, why not? <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. I, You're yeah. not precious enough. Too much personality. It's uh, it's there's uh, different people are looking for different things when it comes to public radio program directors, and there are some who really support my WNYC in New York, where you heard my show. Like they're super supportive of me and my it's show. Good station. It's a fantastic station. Mm-hmm. Um, I think generally it's sort of in a no man's land where it's, you know, the format of the show is similar to Fresh Air or whatever. Yeah. Um, but no program directors have ever heard of anyone that's ever been on my show. Um, so, like, I'm I'm going to the public radio program directors conference and they can say, like, oh, tell me about who's who, what kind of guests do you book? I could list the top 15 people that have been on my show and they wouldn't have heard of any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if I got lucky, maybe they'd heard of Devo. You know, <laughs> come on! It's, Are no, they that it, stodgy? It's no, it's not so much. It's this just? It's a, it's a very particular world that they're in. Well, and also I think what happens is that's exactly it. People get insulated if there's not a kid around to go, hey, you guys, you heard this? That they're not going to hear that. And it's not even like, and then they and they sort of assume that like the people that I'm booking are real up and comers. You know, and not something. established, and sort of like, well, yeah, when, when I'm interviewing Steve Albini or whatever, like it's yeah, he was an up and comer 25 years yeah, ago. Steve Albini is there, you know, right? If they're, if they're saying to you, "Who's this Hodgman fella?" Yeah, that kind well, of Hodgman stuff. is someone they might know because he's contributed to This American Life. I love This American Life. I love Ira Glass. Um, I love everything. He's one of the big reasons I do public radio. But um, I think that there is in public radio. There's kind of two understandings of what programming can be. One is uh, it's like Morning Edition or All Things Considered. That's right. Um, so that's where you get you know your marketplace, which is like Morning Edition and All Things Considered, but vaguely more irreverent it's a gentler and sort news. of about business. Yeah. And you know you get the world, which yeah. is like Morning Edition and Marketplace, but a little bit more world focused and with a world music I, report it, at the end. Yeah, I like it where it's like it's softer, and you know the news is given with a slight, a slight tone of like, don't you feel a little bad? Yeah, and so <laughs> the and then the other thing is it's like this American Life, and like Ira basically just blew down the doors with this American Life. Like it's so he blew down the doors with a very precious wind. I know. It, but it's so it's so good. I mean the show is so good yeah. and it's so popular and yeah. has such a strong I mean the narrative element of it is so strong. I I squirt out tears every time I hear it. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt to. about it. Yeah. And um and so he sort of overwhelmed program director's resistance. Uh, through sheer brilliance, and I can't, I can't manage that. So program directors think: Is it like All Things Considered? Is it like This American Life? And if it's neither of those things, it sort of falls into. Uh, eh, I don't. It's not that they hate it; 
It's that they just kind of like, they don't really get why they should take something off to put it on. Well, I, the thing I like about you and the thing that, that makes me uh, a little resentful of, of public radio, as much as I like Ira Glass, there, there is a pretension to it, as, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe yeah, just, I think he delivers. I mean, I think yeah. it's the kind of pretense where uh, he, he assumes a certain that he's going to try and do something really bold and, and does it. And then he does it. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. And I, and, and it's definitely, it's uh it's definitely a, a, a big machine now, this American life. Right. It, sure. it, it is a, uh, an institution sure. at this point. But I mean, a guy like you, like I don't have much of a chance on public radio because at heart, you know, I'm not, I, I think I'm sensitive. I think I'm precious enough, but I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of filthy. I'm a little aggressive. I'm a bit irreverent and completely self-involved. Uh-huh. Is that a show? Would, if I pitch that <laughs> as a public radio executive, would you go, we're in? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> when can we start, Mark? But, you, but you're different. You're like a regular guy. And, you know, you're yeah. a guy, you're a thoughtful guy, you're engaged with things you like. And, and I think it's just because you're not, you're not precious enough. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's I think it's that I'm not something enough. Um, Do you I fester think about it? Do you sleep over it? I did. You know, I've been with Public Radio International for like I guess uh, almost four years now. Yeah, and I think for the first two years I festered about it a lot. Um, and like, I was why don't they like me? I really did, and I wasn't really getting anywhere. Yeah, I, I mean, there like just just recently, um, I found out I'm I'm getting added to this station in Seattle, which is like a really big well, deal for good. me. You that's know, it's great. a really great market, but really the progress has been very slow since the beginning, and I really freaked out about it. And then maybe like two years ago, I just thought. I'm really happy to be on the stations that I am on, and I continue to be like really proud to be a public radio host. Like right. when I when I'm at a party and I, somebody says, "Oh, so what do you do?" and I say, "Public radio host," I feel really proud of that. Like yeah. that's something that I you think is really admirable, and yeah. you know, and uh, I'm really glad about that. But maybe it's not worth my emotional effort to freak out about, you know, how come I can't get picked up in Columbus? How, more, how come you don't have more stations? I mean, those stations are just fighting to survive anyways. Yeah. A well, lot of them. Oh, absolutely. Almost almost all of them are right now. I mean, it, like any nonprofit. So you can't take it too personally. Sort of like, you fuckers. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that it's hard for a public radio station. It's really hard to change anything because you've got people... I mean, basically, the structure is people are donating to support a show that they like. So even if a show is what would be in commercial radio a failure, you know, even if your numbers from a show A, B, and C are 30,000, 5,000, and 30,000, that's still 5,000 people that uh, are love this show and are donating. And so if you take that off and put something new on, uh, you're starting from zero with the new show. So you're still losing those 5,000 people and pissing that, them off. Right. They may be donors. And it might take three years, even if the show's a big success, to get back that donor base from that time slot. Well, you know isn't that I mean? interesting that something that's supposed to be progressive <laughs> yeah, is is anything but when it comes to you know protecting their 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 piece of the pie. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I I got to hand it to public radio. I mean, the thing the thing that's really cool about public radio is you listen to anything else on the radio. There's so little content on yeah. the radio. I mean, you know, you worked on twelve different Air America shows, and they were trying to make <laughs> yeah. something. And, you know, like when when you were doing Morning Sedition, you know, this is that was as, you know, ambitious in terms of content. A, a commercial radio show has, has been around because you were actually writing content. Co- yeah, you were writing material, you know, you way, actually yeah. had people writing and making things too expensive. And public radio at this point is basically the only place where they're still spending money on making quality content. It's basically at this point, all of commercial radio is just like. 
well, either it's Rush Limbaugh and it just happens to be a personality that's so compelling that, you know, you can do it with one producer and one host. Right. Or it just doesn't happen. Well, I uh, I find that, that when I'm at home, I listen to public radio all the time. I, I, I just have it on. And when I was in New York, I did the same thing. I was I liked certain shows. I, I usually would go. I need news. And that's really what I'm concerned about. Sometimes I'll listen to Morning Become a, 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 Eclectic and I'm always baffled and amazed how it can have the same, how they can find so much music with exactly the same tone <laughs> that makes me you know, feel somewhere in between existentially despairing and elated. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I genius. I love KCRW so much, but I, I like rap music and Morning Becomes Eclectic. Just makes me want to shoot myself. There's in a the bit face. of that. It's like, how is this morning? <laughs> this is morning becomes. I want to kill myself. I feel like I'm trapped in like like they really do a great job of what they're doing. Sure, but it's uh, it's so not for me. You listen that, to rap in the morning? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like I've been right listening, out of bed. There's a new Kanye West remix. Um, well, I was just l- listening to uh, "You Dropped the Bomb on Me" by the Gap Band. Um, but uh, yeah, totally. There's this new Kanye West remix of this song called Power with Jay-Z on it, uh, produced by Swizz Beats. Yeah. Oh man, I've just been listening to that over and over. It's so fun. It's great. Now, it's like the greatest as, thing ever. As as one of the more whiter people I know, uh, and I say that as a white guy and I have no right to even talk like that, how are you received as a rap aficionado? It's a- it, <laughs> In black culture, let's say. I think say. my whole, <laughs> like my whole, my whole persona is so perplexing to people. What is that about? Because- Let's break it down. Because I, you know, I'm, as you know, Mark, I mean, I'm from San Francisco, right? And I, I, mm-hmm. I very sincerely grew up in the inner city. Yeah. Um, but I also, until from kindergarten through middle school, was like the scholarship kid at private schools. Yeah. And so the fact that I liked, you know, urban music was really weird there. Um, and then- But it was natural to you because you grew up with it on some level. Yeah, no, I certainly, I mean, I think, you know, like my, the, that was also the music that my parents listened to. Like, it's not like my parents were listening to the Doobie Brothers and I was like, fuck that. I'm going to listen to rap music. Like my, my mom's- my dad's favorite musician is James Brown, and my mom's favorite uh, band musician is probably Nina Simone. So, really, it's and not that's what that you grew weird. Up with? So yeah. that's sort of what I grew up listening to. What kind of people were these uh, parents of yours? Well, basically, my my parents divorced when I was three. So I sort of my conceptions of them are as two very distinct forces in the world. Um, my mom <laughs> tugging at you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You apart. My mom. Um, my mom is a college teacher. She teaches at uh, junior college in Northern California. Really? Um, what she, she teach? She teaches uh, interdisciplinary studies, humanities. She teaches actually a class about hip hop. Okay. Um, and the old man, what uh, what path does he uh, is he on? He sort of grew up. He's from Kansas City uh, originally. Yeah. He, although he spent his teenage years here in Southern California in Glendale. Um, his his driving around in fast cars. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> he dated. He once told me that he dated every cheerleader on the cheerleading. Yeah. Squad. Isn't that awesome? Jesse Thorne's <laughs> dad is a <laughs> so player. Cool. But he um, he rebelled against his parents by uh, volunteering for the Navy in the early 60s. And um, uh, when he came back from the service, uh, which would have been like 63 or 4, um, he went to Berkeley. He was and done by the time Vietnam really he, kicked out. Well, he was, he, I mean, he was in, he was, his carrier mm. was in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, uh, it was during the, uh, basically his carrier participated in the, the secret bombing of uh, Laos and Cambodia. He came back and he helped found this organization 
that became uh, what is now uh, Vets for Peace, mm-hmm. uh, Vietnam Veterans Against the War. Which so he's helped found the West Coast version. It's the thing that John Kerry founded the East Coast version of, and then they merged when they had the Winter Soldier hearings yeah. um, in the uh, mid late sixties. Yeah. Um, so he basically spent his whole life uh, in the peace movement until you know until I was a kid. Um, and he also, he also got sober when I was a kid, like when I was like maybe four. That's great. Before I can remember. And you have a relationship with both of them? Yeah, yeah, totally. I have a great relationship with both of them. But you grew, so you grew up in a fairly progressive household and, you know, pretty groovy. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. But there was a lot of respect uh, for education. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. And you were in San Francisco. I was so in you San Francisco. Learned how to dress properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was funny. I was just talking to somebody about this because I'm. Can I, I just this. set the scene though? You're wearing Madras shorts. That's true. Is that a, a penguin polo shirt? Perhaps this is actually a... a Lands End. I'm I'm into Lands wow. End size medium tall right huh. now. Lands End, huh? Because it's it's all oversized, but I can never find a polo shirt that's long enough for me. That's also reasonably not billowy in uh-huh. the body and medium tall works and those are converse these are super gays super gays super gays yeah i call them super gays <laughs> no <laughs> i don't know how it's pronounced. it's italian i don't know how it's pronounced s-u-p-e-r-g-a but i think they should be called super gays so you're sort of uh, enigmatic in the way you present yourself yeah and so like people will like bitch at me about talking about something that happened to me when i was a kid like some kind of shitty like hood shit you yeah, know yeah, like yeah. um you know like shooting or junkie breaks into house threatens mom with knife mom my mom that's actually happened when i was like nine or so a junkie broke into our house um and my mom woke up to him with a big ass knife standing over her bed standing over the foot of her bed she screamed and chased him out of the house and down the block really that's my mom for you that's why it's great he was a junkie does not take any shit (laughs) (laughs) my mom does not fuck around um but like when i talk if i talk about something like that on jordan jesse go then people it's just people are so perplexed because they're like isn't that the guy who wears bow ties isn't this the bow tie guy well let's address that that, because i think the perplexing uh nature about you and also about the two communities that seem to be existing in the hipster world which is where you have (laughs) a fairly insulated uh nerdish community and then you have a fairly aggressive sophisticated uh kind of more streetwise uh i don't even know what you call it the the legacy of what would have been punk rock or or what would have been those type of hipsters and then you have people that that sort of felt through the cracks well now, there's this other kind of hipster that i think is a big kind of hipster right now which is sort of like the euro dance hipster like yeah. i don't know why, at what point those people got to become hipsters why did they come back there's so much stuff from when <laughs> i was a kid because i'm older than you where i'm like that had to come back really Wait, you're, you're older than me a little bit yeah, a little I bit have no idea yeah i know it's weird because you yeah. look about my age i would have i'm 29 <laughs> i would have guessed 28 mark <laughs> I would have guessed 46, man. I'm going to be 47 next month and I'm working out of my garage. But, um, but no, I, let's help me explain this because I was never a nerd. Uh huh. And, and now there's a lot of people who are claiming to be nerds that I, I question their nerd credentials. Uh huh. Okay. And I, you know, and I'm, I'm perfectly willing to admit that I wasn't a nerd. I was, my obsessions were not, you know, outside of me. Right. My, yeah, it seems that nerds, if I understand it properly, I think fans of the show are familiar with your obsessions. Yeah, yeah. And, but they're but nerds are very focused on on seemingly proactive uh, obsessions that you know generally become bridges and you know and, and large math problems, perhaps chess championships. I really just you know was trying to figure out how to exist in the world. But that aside, we don't need to talk about me. Is that 
We don't? No. What show is this? This is uh, WTF with Mark Marin. Okay, we can talk about me. But you seem to, like, I, here's, uh, okay, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to use you as a psychiatrist or anything. I do feel that I am. You're I, trying to figure out whether you're a geek or not. Yeah. I have that issue too. How can you have that issue? Because I don't really, I mean, that's not really how I identify myself. I mean, it's like, it's such a, you know, like, uh, you've been to Max FunCon, you know, that yes, I have, and it was very, it was very interesting. A big part, I mean, not a, not all, but a significant part of the sort of core constituency of the Sound of Young America and Jordan Jesse Go to some ex, ex, to some extent is people who self-identify as geeks. You know, people who who think of themselves as like participants in geek culture and like the whole thing. You know, like the new wave of people who are proud to be geeks and you know. And they. What are some of the uh, the the what would you call the watermarks or benchmarks or people who read the people who read Boing Boing. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah. People who people who love the IT crowd or sure people you know people like Chris Hardwick, our, our friend Chris Hardwick. Yeah. I mean, Chris is somebody who really like that's a core part of his identity. You know, but it wasn't always. I mean, it seems to me that like well, it's, the question is not so much that it wasn't always. I think that he that he like a lot of people felt like he had to hide it. Oh, um, closet geeks. Exactly. And uh, people don't feel that way. And I feel kind of like, I feel kind of bad for not being that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've definitely geeked. There have been, I've, I have geeky tendencies of certain right. kinds. I mean, obviously, I, but I mean, geeking out about clothes and baseball um, is a slightly different kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I, so I'm like, I, like I collected comic books, but I stopped when I was like ten. Yeah, I co- I have comic books, and if you look around my my garage here, I'm 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 sort of a geek to a certain degree. But right. it seems to me that because of my age, I was stuck in the middle. Right. Like I'm not I'm like not quite a boomer. I'm 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 just maybe the last month or so of what would be considered a boomer. I really had to you know kind of pick out the stuff that washed up after the 70s to you know to right. build an identity from right. and i think a lot of the people now that none of that n- none of the 60s culture or or 70s culture well some of the late 70s culture is even relevant anymore right. to them or their identity so i got i got kind of screwed cuz i have remnants of like you know like the stones and you know and i still have punk rock and, and but it wasn't punk rock wasn't the starting point punk right. rock came in when i was in high school and it, right. and it and it didn't really fully integrate as a as an archetype until after I left. Right. See, I went to arts high school, so like my idea of like if I talk to Jordan, yeah. like Jordan went to this you know five thousand student whatever giant high school in 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 Orange County, and he was uh, in the theater department. And he has goes to the comic book store every week, Still? and they like save comics out sure. for him. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is called a pull list. I right, learned yeah. recently. Yeah, and you know he loves video games, and and those are things that like, and I never like because I was lucky enough to go to arts high school. Like I never felt the need that I had to like double down and like identify myself in opposition to the like straight kids or whatever right um straight kids meaning just the the uh, mediocritites the 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 predictable people yeah or just you know or the the popular kids or the jocks or anything like there were no jocks there was no sports teams at my high school yeah i I was was at my high school i was a jock because i played little league baseball until i was 15 right and i knew the starting lineup of the giants but that that made me a jock at my high school okay so but there must have been some school of thought that you know there must have been lines drawn between oh, sure. people who respected Warhol and didn't or there were yeah well sure well I mean but it was it was different it wasn't like a geeks versus not geeks and I get it yeah 
And so, um, and so I never like, I never had to defend myself by saying this is my team. You know what I mean? And so now that I'm a grown up and I'm, I'm almost, I'm sort of like in the geek business. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a kind of an odd place for me to be because on the one hand, I think like, uh, there's been, there's this legacy for that world of you're with us or against us. Right. Because they're. You know, it's a group that develops out of defending themselves. I think that's true. And also, like, because they are the dominant uh, cultural paradigm now, there's a lot of bullying that goes on that I find surprising that, you know, bullies beget bullies. Like, my whole thing is that I understand that geek culture and these guys and, and these guys and gals that grew up, you know, being different for a specific reason, whether it be, you know, marching band or chess club or the ability to do, uh, uh, you know, uh, calculus, that, that they didn't fit in. To, to whatever culture they came from and, th- and they have a chip on their shoulder about that and now they, they can celebrate. Whereas I don't feel like I fit in anywhere. That's what I came up with. <laughs> that, like, you know, I've got to figure out how to get all these different people to like me because I don't fit in with any of this. Right. So that, all I'm, I guess I'm saying, Jesse, is I'm, I'm much more specific and much more special than, than anything right. that's going on. Oh, now. I don't doubt. I mean, yeah. I think anyone knows how special you yeah, are. Good. Anybody who's out there in the yeah, public. Good, good. They know you as a yeah. real special guy. Yeah, that's all That's all I'm trying to get across here. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help the people that don't fit in anywhere. Yeah, by the way. Yeah. Do you need your binky? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Just um, give me a minute with my binky. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. Like, I was thinking about, you live here in Highland Park, California. Yeah. And I was thinking about how I live in Silver Lake, yeah. which is theoretically, culturally, pretty much in Los Angeles where I should live. Like People are always like, yeah, sure, you live in Silver Lake. Of course you do. Groovy people. And I feel so uncomfortable in Silver Lake. And meanwhile, if I'm walking down York Avenue or you know Avenue 52 yeah, or like whatever, the it's like the mission and I <laughs> <Yeah>. feel at home. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny about it is that I don't feel at home because I was a cholo as a kid. You know what I no, mean? Yeah, sure. I feel at home because when I was a kid, like my whole identity is built around being like the white guy <laughs> yeah. in a place where there's where there's practically no other white teenagers. You and, know but, what I mean? But it's and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I just like I have a hard time wrapping my brain around it, and that, because I I fight it too. That I get the feeling like I I recently, if we can talk specifics, you know, I got some shit from some uh, some Sharpling fans. Uh-huh. Uh huh. From the best show on the, uh, Tom's fans are not afraid to give people shit for poor reasons. Yeah, yeah, I know, but like it was clearly one of these line drawing things where I was like that there is a, a pseudo intelligentsia to to uh, to sort of geek chic that that I think a lot of times what makes you interesting and different is that your life experience is is genuine life experience that you know, <laughs> by virtue of, of of what you were brought up with and whatever life i live i feel like i live in the real world and some of the 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 criticism that i receive from the the geek culture is is really sort of like weird highbrow condescension that uh-huh. that is coming from a place where it's sort of like well what world do you live in where are you living do you get out and talk to people i mean are you so insulated that you're going to have these opinions on me and that made me upset well, there's, you know, I think one of the one of the cool things about the internet that has negative side effects is that it's a place where, you know, you can really get into what you're into. And I think Tom's show, the best show, is is something that so rewards just in depth commitment that it sort of feeds back on itself. And so the dicks who get into it 
I know because I've gotten I've like four of my iTunes reviews of my you know three hundred or whatever are one star reviews that say fuck this listen to the best show. No, that's and right. Like, that's no, right. Tom is my friend. But, I also like the best show. <laughs> right, and but that that's also the you know and I and I like the best show too, and I like Tom. But that's also that team dynamic that you were talking about. Is yeah. that there definitely is a team now, and all these things that people are loyal to. There's no sort of big tent on some level. A lot of some people are like that, but some people they're like fuck this. There is no other show other than this. Yeah, but on and the you kind of want them though. Yeah, I'd like to have some of them. I think there's. I think that it does have some. It does have validity in content. I mean, I think um, we talked about John Hodgman. Hodgman's a good friend of mine, and he made. A, he gave a talk, um, or he he spoke at the uh, White House Correspondence Dinner like two years ago, um, and he. The, it was very funny. I mean, it was a comic thing, but it was very serious as well, and it was basically about. Um, is it was basically about what he sees as the difference between jocks and geeks, and that he sees Obama as a geek president, and it's really it's really you know you can t- type it into YouTube. It's really eloquent and fascinating. In addition to being very funny, and in that way, like the, yes, then then I pick as much as I actually do like playing sports, although I'm not notably good at them. Um, like I, I can understand that and I, I can see why people would pick that side. And it's cool that we live in a world, you know, that, you know, where that's an okay thing to be, which wasn't necessarily the case 35 years ago. Well, it it was always, uh, uh, the, the people that were that before it was okay, knew that they were on the right trajectory, at least in terms of, of career or, or pursuing something productive, but you know, cultural recognition. In the world of, in the world of unproductive things. Yeah. (laughs) Now they're, now they're, uh, now there's room for them to be really into Scott Pilgrim in public. That's right. Yeah, but I think that they, they built the infrastructure that is what we live in right. to some degree, these geeks. But they just, as a cultural force, they were always condescended to by the morons right. that lived in those buildings. Right. <laughs> or yeah. that lived in that infrastructure. Right. Now they're sort of like, we've got our own world now. Yeah. Well, I, I and, and I, you know, I'm definitely part of that, but I think I'm a little like you where I got a foot in each one. And, you know, there's some, I have some blind sides, but I, I guess I, I feel a little... Um, like sometimes I feel a little excluded. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I can understand that. And actually, <laughs> I've recently, I've recently come to the conclusion. I mean, I know a lot, like friends of mine, like Hodgman, for example, yeah. or like my friend Jonathan Colton, are sort of geek icons. And you know, or or uh, or Chris Hardwick has also become a geek icon. And he's Chris has done it sort of self consciously. Like he said, I'll say. you know what? Fuck this. Yeah. Fuck all this other stuff that I was doing. I like geek shit. I'll just become a geek icon. It's more fun yeah. for me. Um, and I, uh, I am, I'm not really into doing that. I think I'm going to try and figure out a way to become a gay icon because it just seems more fun. Yeah, sure. And you already, you've got all the clothes. Yeah, but I can't, I, I need, I'm not like, I'm not very dramatic. Like I need a good... I need a good hook. I haven't figured out what my hook is besides the outfits. Outfits isn't enough, I think. What you like a vocal hook, like, uh, you know, like a your equivalent like, of you go girl or snap, or just just something like like Tammy Faye Baker's eyelashes. Uh, okay, but you're a radio guy. I think maybe you should think of a vocal hook. Like I already uh, have a sibling ass. Oh, you did, which is what. <laughs> Oh yeah, I have a little of that, and yeah. I have rolling L's. But I mean, I, I didn't notice that. You don't talk. Uh, yeah, you're not, you don't have a a, a feminine uh, feminine way of speaking. I got to think of something to become a gay. I mean, look how great it's working out for Margaret Cho. She just goes and does whatever well, the you fuck know, she you, wants. You know, what you could do. You could start being gay. 
I know. I have no interest in it. I have no interest. I'm, <laughs> that's I'm the, as that's supportive. That's the easiest path there. You know? A, you know, I grew up in San Francisco. I'm very supportive of uh-huh. uh, the gay agenda. Sure. Yeah. Now, uh, what else do I want? Okay, so Max FunCon, you know, I, I learned a lot up there. Okay, so let's talk about what you learned. Um, By the way, I just announced the uh, dates of next year's Max FunCon. I think it's June 10th through 12th, if is that, I remember correctly. Is that an invitation? I'm not, I'm no, you're probably not invited. Oh, God. What did I do wrong? Uh, you didn't do anything wrong. It's just that I only get to invite like 10 people, so I try and change it every year. All right, so you're just plugging the thing and excluding yeah. me from it. Well, here's the thing, Mark. I mean, like with Max FunCon, which is what it is, by the way, if people don't know, if they didn't hear you, talk, you, you and Maria talked about it a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. It's basically sort of like this weekend here in Southern California where we have comedy shows at night and sort of seminars during the day and a couple hundred people go. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a theme vacation slash conference. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Max FunCon is that I think that one of the things that I have been really self-aware about in terms of when I'm making this thing is I don't want the, I don't want the mean, I don't want those mean elements to be part of what I'm doing. You mean the mean element of the geek community? Uh, Of the geek community or or just of of a community. Like a communities tend to- I thought you were talking about me specifically as the mean element. No, 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 no. Because I've been the mean element. No, not at all. I've, uh, yeah, no, I've heard your show. Yeah. Um, Not that you're mean on your show, but I talk talk about about pastimes that you've been- Sure, yeah, I didn't want to be that guy. Um, I learned how not to be that guy at Max FunCon. And like, it's, it's, it's- I try and be self-aware about being inclusive and just not tolerating that kind of shit. Yeah. You know, just yeah. I just don't want to fucking deal with it. Right. It sucks. Right. And so I it's and so I think Max Funcon is I think the people who come to it, it's a self-selected group. It's not like a huge number of people or anything. They're just not into that shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they're very everybody was very sweet and there was actually this idea that there, there was almost a, a utopic uh, <laughs> kind of thing going on up there that everybody knew exactly what it was and they were there to have fun with like-minded people. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think what it is- It's like it, camp. It's, it's like, yeah, that was my idea, like to, for it to be like camp. But I think it, part of it is just, you know, you can get through a lot by just setting expectations. You know, like that really does a lot of the work for you. If you're just clear about what the thing is that you're doing, you know, then people- People are like, okay, well, if that's what we're doing, I'll do that. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. I did learn how to resent, uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry, this got nothing to do with you. I don't want to put you in the middle of anything. But um, but the Radio Lab guy, I found him to be very, you know, he, he's a little, little condescending to me a little bit. Really? A little bit. He felt like it. You know, I, I don't, I'm surprised to hear that because he's such a sweet guy. This what's is Jad, Jad Album Run. See, I might, I might be projecting. I think you you're know? projecting. Well, I mean, like he, there was. In a, fact, you're almost certainly projecting. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, there was a fan of mine up there, and you know, and I liked what he did. And he said some nice stuff, and you know, he seems very smart, and everything is very put together. And I enjoyed his presentation. Well, Jad is. I learned I mean, things. Jad is like us in the world of public radio. Jad is really a special genius. Like I think Jad is the most talented public radio producer that there is in America. The only possible competition is Ira. Yeah. Um, I think he's a special genius. And he was really coming... I mean, talk about you coming to Max FunCon feeling like the odd man out. Yeah. Like, at least you know that Al Madrigal and Maria Bamford that you know are going to be there and Jimmy Pardo's going to be there. And these are things that you're sort of familiar with. Yeah, I had Jimmy in here last week. Jad is... Jad is like... He has no... He doesn't know who any of these comedians are. 
Like he doesn't know. And he's basically just knew that I was nice to him that one time that he was on the sound of young America. And well, he might as well. Cause yeah. I told him it would be really fun. And he had an amazing time. Yeah. He, a fan of mine who is a fan of yours and a fan of everything that is, you know, podcasting in this world asked him what he thought of me. Uh huh. And he said, it's a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I don't mean to be rude to you or yeah. to condescend. Yeah. I think that may be a reaction that you get reasonably frequently. <laughs> I would almost suggest right, that that right. might be the premise of your act. Maybe I should call it my new CD. <laughs> nice place to visit. Wouldn't want to live there. I think, I mean, do you feel like that's not what you do on stage? Nice place to visit wouldn't want to live there no my assumption is is that i am living inside of you you just have to find him <laughs> i think i mean what i've always found remarkable about your act this Mark, is where the show gets good what i've always found remarkable yeah. about your act is uh -huh. that you can go to any place on stage and bring the audience with you yeah you know that you're you're such a great performer and so funny and talented and all yeah. that shit. Yeah, and so skilled. Yeah, um, that you can just start talking about something that's really personal and intimate and mm. kind of upsetting. Yeah, and bring the audience with you. Right, right. Whether or not that's a, an entertainment experience people will seek out is a question. But you can, but you have that that right. coveted stand-up comedy skill, which is, I think, that you can go in front of an audience of just people who are in a comedy club yeah. and do something really weird. And drag them through my problems. And drag them through your problems. <laughs> and they're fine with it. They're laughing and enjoying it, you know? They, and then they leave feeling a little mentally raped, but and, that's all right. And so, and so, like, I think when you don't know what you're getting into, I can understand, like, that you're, like, at the end of that, you're like, huh. Yeah. What was what? that that I just laughed so much at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess it, it's uh, it, it, that is true, and, and I guess when I hear something like that, it's it's actually a a compliment of some kind. But I just feel like I'm sharing love and and and, and <laughs> celebrating the human spirit, and and perhaps I don't. Uh, Maybe that should be the new, this uh, title of your new CD: <laughs> A Celebration of the Human Spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to do, Jesse. God damn it! Why can't people understand that? <laughs> That I'm a celebrator of the human spirit. There are very few c comedians that you would not say nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. That's true. There are very few comedians that are worth. All right, I I'll, mean, I'll, let, know, him, I'll let him off the hook. What's his comedian name? Comedian Jad Abumrad. Jad Ab Abumrad. Yeah. Oh. So I believe half Lebanese. That's a hell of a name. Yeah, he's a hell of a radio producer. Radio Lab's amazing. It is. But amazing. like, think of it. Like, I, I, there, I can't deny him the talent that he. You know, I mean, he's great. I mean, it was a good presentation. Like, don't you feel like? Don't you feel like? I mean, I don't think there's a better comedian than Louis C.K. I think you could say that about Louis C.K. Yeah. I just watched uh, Bill Burr on Letterman last night. I think he's about as good a comedian as it gets. Yeah. And I would certainly say that about Bill Burr's sure. act. Yeah. Um, you know, like he's he's basically he, no. We're out there doing you know? it for you. We're we're, yeah. we're providing a service, so you don't have to live there. That's the whole thing. That's what yeah. that's what going to see. You know, that's what going to see a challenging comedy show is. Right. It's like right. It's like you get up to a place where you're. It's they're helping you kind of understand and acknowledge a thing that's difficult. Right, and also maybe difficult within themselves, but they don't want to be there either. I mean, I think that's really what we're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, uh, oh my God, he's talking about that thing in me that I can't accept. And, you know, he's giving it, he's filling it with, with blood and life and, and, and humanizing it. And I feel a little better. Right. Those are the, I help to reach those people. Yeah. 
Okay. You're doing good work. Thank you. I'm glad we settled that. You're a regular Jad Abumrad. Oh, no, I'm not. (laughs) Um, There's a cool wasp in here, by the way. Big wasp. A terrifying wasp. Holy crap. Get a load of that motherfucker. Is that a... But is that doesn't look like it's a weird wasp. It's it's like a multi-part wasp. Yeah, there, it's got amazing. very distinct. It uh, looks like a science fiction wasp. Well, I'm pretty nerdy. I attract that kind of stuff. I uh, maybe it's because you're here. <laughs> we said, great, the machine can f- travel freely and meet Mr. Thorne. It's here because you're so sweet, Mark. Oh shit! We should describe this wasp. This is like an inch and a half long, at least. And it seems like that the the tail part, the abdomen, is just dangling from the body of the wasp. It doesn't look like it's connected. Yeah, it it's this is terrifying. It looks it has big long wings like a termite. Oh, there it comes! Oh, it's coming towards. Get me. out! Go! Yes, yes, yes it's gone. gone. Your dad's an alcoholic. We got that. Your mom seems That's very That's public nice. information. I've talked on Jordan Jesse Go about spending spending my childhood years drawing pictures in the back of AA meetings. You did go to AA as a kid? Yeah, well, my parents divorced when I was three, so when I was with my dad, he went to AA, you know, f- three or four times a so week. So back then, it was like they were smoking in the room it still was, and it was like coffee, dirty the people. The AA meetings that I went to, and I, that was, you know, I lived in the mission, so it was like... I would say, and my dad, being a crazy vet, sought out crazy vet-themed AA meetings. So it was like, it was roughly, those rooms were roughly 50% homeless um, people. Uh I would say 50 to 70% vets. And how old were you? Five, six. That's some mind-blowing shit to have to deal with. Yeah, it was, well, you know, it was okay. I mean, it was fine. No, but you, when you think you about some cookies out of it. Cookies, maybe some coffee. Shitty cookies. They have really bad cookies at those. At, they do, at yeah. The, yeah at the, the, really, the, the really ghetto AA at, meeting. At, at a lot of them. They, people just, they have a cookie commitment. And Mother's they just, assortment. They just pick up whatever yeah. they can. But that's interesting because, you know, so many people spend so much time trying to protect their kids from things. And, and for, you know, I see kids at AA meetings now. And, you know, to see that, to be experienced with that. Because I remember there are certain things that will blow your mind when you're a kid. My, my dad was in the service and we flew from uh, from Alaska or from uh, yeah from Alaska to New Jersey on a military cargo plane because we got a deal to go visit my grandparents. Right. And we're traveling with body well, hops. Bags. Hops. hops. It's called, right? Yeah. Hops. Is that what the name of the I mean, cargo plane when is? You, when you take it, when you, when you get right. on a cargo that's plane. That's right. And that's service, what we did. Yeah. That's what it's called. And we were flying with body boxes. You know, oh, and I'll geez. never forget that. You know, from wow. Vietnam because it was may- maybe 69, 70, maybe 70. And they told me us that's what it was, you know. And then you just sit wow. there. Wow, it's a long time to be in there too, and to have four to or five hours. Yeah. yeah, just to have to process that. And they give us a box lunch, and I remember there was V eight in it. And I, I just, but, but in the same way, going to an AA meeting as a four year old, it's got to be fucking mind blowing. It's funny, you know, like my parents. I mean, the reality of the situation is that when I was when I was a kid, my parents were lived in the inner city and didn't have any money at all, and just like shit, just you know, we just did stuff. You know, like I started taking like people, people will, you know, my, my wife was working at this job where her boss, who was the super highly paid attorney, was always having to leave to go like take her kids to soccer practice or something. And we were talking about how I started taking the bus, not the school bus, the regular city bus to school by myself in second grade. And like the idea that like that, that's like so crazy. But like it's not. I mean, I just took the fucking bus. Like the that's right. It's, the bus stop was like a block from my house, and it stopped pretty much like half a block from my school. But, so, and I was seven. I could handle that. Right. But I think that the culture has become more frightened. Yeah. That, you know, as people become more informed and and more things to be frightened of, informed in maybe a negative way in terms of what you can or can't do. That the idea of sending a kid outside 
to, yeah. to go more than two blocks by himself as a seven-year-old is fucking unheard of. But, you know, I mean, I think the, the reality of the situation was for my parents, because they were divorced and because they, you know, so they were each taking care of me essentially by themselves. And, uh, you know, they were both, you know, they were each of them was making, you know, $22,000 a year or whatever. And uh, that was just what happened. It was just the only way it could work. Sure. And you survive. You know? you know, yeah, it was fine. It wasn't, I mean, like, even even stuff like, like, I definitely would be, like, like I got used to get jumped as a kid and stuff like that. But, like, you know, it only happened half a dozen times over the course of the 10 years that I was the age that you would jump someone, you know, from, like, age 7 to 15 by other kids. or whatever. And the, but, but the truth of the matter is, you know, as a 7-year-old. Not that, always by other kids, but, yeah. By grown-ups? <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Just with like a knife or something. Really? You, I never you had 10? anything. I mean, I still, I still feel, I still never carry any more than like forty dollars on me because I just assume that because you know if you just get jumped, you just give them your money, right? Yeah. yeah you know. I just don't carry enough money for it to matter. What do you? Oh, that's right. And you, hopefully yeah. they don't go. We're going to your bank. Yeah, exactly. Get your ATM card. But do you find that you know af- after coming from that that I think some of the manifestations. Uh, psychologically from that kind of upbringing do you find yourself being over yeah, control freakish you know <laughs> fairly meticulous overly organized no, i mean i think what it is is that like as i'm not i'm certainly not not those things um but uh i think you know like i'm just i just assume self-reliance like right. i think that there was no choice but for me and it's not like i felt like my parents weren't taking care of me or something like that right but just the reality was that if my mom want, had to go somewhere and I had to stay home by myself. Like there, yeah. there was no money for a babysitter, yeah. you know. So and make like, a grilled cheese and wait for Jim Lehrer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did. I used to watch. I was just talking yeah. with my wife about what we used to what we used yeah. to watch as kids. Yeah. Like I, I watched a fair amount of dumb TV shows, especially after oh, yeah. I got my own TV as like 11, 12 year old. But before that, my dad had my dad's TV was like a 10, 9, 10 inch black and white yeah. TV, oh, yeah. you know, and it had sure. broken knobs and yeah. shit. Like the knobs was were, there a hanger stuck in the broken was, antenna hole? I'll tell you what there was. There was a pliers that sat on top of it that you used sure. to change the channel. Nice. Um, and so I just watched my childhood is populated by my dad. The shows that my dad's watched, my dad watched, which was essentially MASH, Cheers and the News Hour. And that's it. <laughs> just my dad only watched MASH, Cheers and the News Hour. And I think that is uh, completely... Uh, uh, a parent and, and the man you've become. <laughs> if you, if there, if you, I could think of three Jungian yeah. archetypes. Exactly. <laughs> I think that it captures any play James Brown music, and yeah. there it is. That is how yeah. Jesse Thorne was built. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here, man. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's it, Jesse Thorne. What a what a what a wonderful, well dressed man that guy is. Yeah, I'm a little, he's, you know, he's a little, he's a little clean for me. A little clean. Kind of runs a clean shop, that guy. The new t-shirts are here. I've made new t-shirts for you with cats on them. Go buy a new t-shirt. Please subscribe. I mean, what is $10 a month? We're talking $1.25 a show if you were to pay for it. That's $2.50 a week. You spend more on that a day for coffee. Two fifty a week, ten bucks a month to subscribe. You get a T-shirt, you get some stickers. I'll write you a little postcard. You can also do the uh, the two hundred and fifty super premium package, a one shot donation. I'll give you all three of my CDs. I'll give you the special WTF best of CD that is only available to two hundred and fifty dollar donors. I'll give you two T-shirts. I'll give you some stickers. I'll sign you a postcard, and I'll be muy 
Mucho appreciate. Mucho. I'll be. I'll appreciate very much. JustCoffee.coop, also available at WTFPod.com. My sponsor from back in the day. God damn, I love that stuff. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your cold brewed iced coffee. Use JustCoffee.coop coffee. That's what I did. <laughs>